0: All right, friends, for the preaching of God's word, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 23. I'm going to start in verse 10 there. It says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor." Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared." Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When the angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Friends, do you ever find yourself forgetting how good God has been to you? Or forgetting that he's met each of your needs or forgetting that he's actively caring for helping guiding and providing for you maybe you find you're more inclined to forget these things about God when your circumstances get harder or more stressful Maybe as different seasons of the year come and your life gets busier with obligations and commitments and events, you find that keeping God first and remembering his power and faithfulness towards you is easier and easier to forget or harder and harder to recall. Or do you ever feel like there's not enough hours in the day or days in the week to get everything done that you need to get done? Maybe you find yourself working at an exhausting rate week after week just to try to keep up. Friends, these are just some of the areas that our passage this morning is speaking into. Do you need more rest in your life? Do you need more joy in your life? Do you need more hope and confidence in your life? What these verses are showing us this morning is that our great God has designed and commanded rhythms and patterns for our lives to help us remember who he is and what he has done. As we remember and recount his faithfulness and power, our faith and hope in him is built Our ability to trust Him to provide grows, and the rest and joy found in Him refreshes our souls like nothing else can. So again, just like the previous two weeks, this morning what we're going to see, our main idea, is that God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. We're gonna see this in three points this morning. First, God cares about your rest, verses 10 to 13. Second, God cares about your joy, verses 14 to 19. And third, God cares about your future, it's in verses 20 to 33. So we start with number one, God cares about your rest the sabbath pattern at the beginning of our passage is nothing new but its application to land and crops is and this is on a larger scale than the weekly sabbath pattern that god has already set before his people this is talking about years Six years, the Israelites are to farm their crops, planting and harvesting every year. But on the seventh, this command says that on the seventh year, they are to let the land rest and lie fallow, which really just means inactive. No plowing, no planting, no harvesting, just resting. Why? Well, first of all, this command is for the rest and refreshment of the land itself. This year of rest allows nutrients to reinvigorate the soil so that it's ready to grow new crops for another six years. This year of rest is called the Shemitah. It is still practiced today in Israel. You could read more about it in Leviticus 25. Now, rotating crops is nothing new. People have been doing it for thousands of years to benefit the land. But letting the land rest for a whole season is a significant sacrifice for farmers. This is a major recurring test from the Lord to trust him to provide. Just like us resting on the Sabbath day is a sacrificial act of trusting God to provide. But again, this is on a huge scale. It's fascinating. It's challenging, isn't it? Just the idea of it. Can you imagine not growing your major source of food and income for a whole year and trusting God had provided enough for you over the last six years of harvest to make it through an entire year of rest for the land? But this rest isn't just for the land. Now we see in verse 11 that it's also a way that God has designed to provide and care for the poor and even the animals of the field. This is still true today according to Jewish law. During this year of rest, anything that grows of its own accord is allowed to be harvested by anyone for their immediate need for free. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's heart for all of his creation? It makes me think of Matthew 6, 26, where Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. This year of rest is a practical way that our great God cares for and provides for all of his creation." But the rest commanded here isn't just on a seven-year basis, and it's not just for the poor and for the animals. Check out verse 12 with me. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. You see that? The Sabbath day of rest isn't just for you as an individual. Now in a culture based largely around agriculture, taking the day off from working meant that your livestock would get a break and your bond servants would get a break and any travelers that were staying with you who would normally be helping you work to pay for their lodging and food, they would get a break too. The day of Sabbath is for your rest and refreshment, but it's also for the rest and refreshment of everyone under your leadership and supervision and care. I believe we see this model for us in God himself resting after creation. Did he need to rest after that because he was tired or needed a break from his work? No. But he did so in part to model for us what a Sabbath looks like. And in the model of our God resting, we can see him making space for all who depend on him to also receive rest. Your rest gives rest to others. And it is a wonderful expression of God's mercy and grace to us all. I honestly have no idea how many of you keep any sort of livestock. And I don't think any of us have any bond servants. And even foreigners traveling through, staying and helping us around the house for a week is probably pretty rare for us. So, what does this mean for us today? Friends, it means that we trust the Lord with our Sabbath time. Find rest and refreshment in God and in His gifts and provisions to you. And let your Sabbath rest be rest for those around you. Let them find rest and refreshment in God and in His gifts and provisions to them as well. Maybe a good question is, what do you expect of your family and friends during your Sabbath rest? Are your demands and expectations keeping your people, your family and friends, from truly entering into rest and being refreshed in the Lord? Another application to consider, are you sacrificially trusting God to provide for your needs even during your Sabbath rest? Or are you putting your trust in your own work and accomplishments? Friends, it's so easy for us to become our own functional gods in this way, thinking that we'll rest later or that we need to keep a hundred different plates spinning even while resting. Friend, God commands you to rest and to trust him while you do. Verse 13 is really a summary statement of chapters 21, 22, and thus far into 23, where it says, pay attention to all I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Church, God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. God is saying to his people here, I am your God, listen to me. Keep my commands, keep me first in your life, and don't even make mention of any other gods. God alone brought his people out of Egypt. God alone has provided for every single one of their needs. And God alone will continue to bless and provide for his people day after day after day. Christian, this is a reminder that God is your God. This is a reminder to listen to every word He has said and to trust that He is who He says that He is and He has done and will do everything that He has promised to do. He will continue to bless and provide for you and you must love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and body in response to his grace and mercy towards you. This reminder should prompt us towards thankfulness and joy. Friends, our great God lovingly cares for us in our rest. This brings us to our second point this morning. God cares about your joy. It's found in verses 14 and 19. In these verses, we get the summary of three feasts, also called festivals, that God commands Israel to hold every year. We see more detail about these feasts in the book of Leviticus, but I want to give some focus and highlights for us today, helping us to know a little bit more about them and why these feasts matter. The three feasts are the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering. We're just going to walk through each of these. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is the feast that commemorates the Passover. We saw this back in chapter 12 of Exodus. In verse 14, God said to Israel, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. That's where the name comes from. We saw in chapter 13 of Exodus more on the purpose behind this feast, where God said, Then Moses said to the people, remember this day which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven and, and no shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Friends, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is meant to recall the exodus from Egypt, including the Passover, where a lamb was sacrificed to protect those who believed in God. And it also celebrates God's power and faithfulness to save and deliver his people from Egypt, to deliver them from their slavery. It's similar for us to how Good Friday and Easter function. Good Friday, we recount the sacrificial death of our Savior Jesus to save and protect all who believe in him. And on Easter, we celebrate his rising from the dead, conquering sin and death, rescuing us and setting us free from our slavery to sin. We celebrate God's mighty saving power just like Israel did during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The other two feasts are mentioned in verse 16. Read with me there. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. These two feasts occurred relatively close together and were directly tied to the agricultural calendar. They both have to do with the harvest and are both tied to how we praise and honor God for his provision and blessing. The Feast of Harvest, also called the Feast of First Fruits, was held at the very beginning of the harvest season when the crops were ready to be harvested. You could read more about this in Leviticus 23. But the people would take one of the first sheafs of wheat and wave it before the Lord as a way of acknowledging that the whole harvest came from him. Then they would enter into a feast for seven weeks, which is why you may also see this feast called the Feast of Weeks in your Bibles. After those seven weeks, on the 50th day, the people would make an offering to God. The main offering of this was bread, but for this offering and feast, it was fully risen, fully leavened bread, representing the fullness of the harvest from the Lord. The feast of ingathering was also tied to harvest, but took place after all of the harvest had been brought in. During this feast of ingathering, the people lived in booths or tabernacles or tents, made from branches and leaves. This is why you may also see this feast or festival called the Feast of Booths. This represents Israel living in makeshift booths or tents during the entire Exodus. And it's yet another way that God was commanding his people to remember where they came from, how they got where they are, and who made it all possible. Now friends, we all recognize that our culture doesn't celebrate these feasts every year. And for most or all of us, we're not as tied to the physical harvest of crops. But what might it look like for us to have regular rhythms in our lives, in our homes, where we recount God's activity and praise Him for His blessing and provision and faithfulness to us? Just like Israel, we need to remember where we've come from, how we got here, and who makes it all possible. Perhaps you could lead your family through a devotional for seven whole weeks, focusing on God's promises and provision. And then, on the 50th day, make a huge dinner to celebrate with your family, thanking God for his faithfulness to you. Or consider how you might set aside some savings for six whole months, and then on the seventh month, go and bless the poor in your neighborhood. Or partner with a a ministry like Sunday Breakfast Mission in Wilmington. Friends, as we recount God's faithfulness to us, we should want to express that to those around us as well. And as we recount his faithfulness to us, the resounding effect should be increased joy as we remember and celebrate God's kindness and faithfulness to us. As we recall his activity and praise his name, we... We are reminded that God is worthy of all our trust. And we must remember and remind each other that he is powerful to save. He is powerful to provide for each and every one of your needs. As we do that, we can be full of joy as he continues to grow us in trusting and following him. Because he lovingly cares for us. He lovingly cares for every area of our lives, church. That should bring us joy. Now in these next couple verses, 18 and 19, we see that God gives commands for his people to follow even in our joy and fasting. Feasting. He lovingly gives us boundaries so that we are free to be glad and joyful and make the most of our resting and our feasting. More details can be found in Leviticus 2, but with the exception of the Feast of Harvest, Israel was commanded never to offer a sacrifice that contained any leaven. Then there's also the command about the fat of the feast. God is telling them not to waste anything. And also not to try to save anything. Both being ways that we can practically demonstrate our lack of faith in God to provide what we need when we need it. Verse 19 is a command for Israel to bring the absolute best of the first fruits of their harvest as an offering to God in his house. Friends, we can try to justify other things in life getting our first and our best. But God says clearly, He commands that the very best and first of the fruits of our labor must be brought to Him. Then to end this section, this fairly strange line You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Seems like this command may be here for a couple reasons. First, as a sort of rule. Against using what is designed to give life and nourishment, milk, to take the life of a young goat. Second, this practice was common among the pagan villages and tribes of the time. So this is another practical way that God is instructing his people not to associate or be like them and thereby not bring any sort of idolatry or false worship into these feasts that he is commanding his people, Israel, to keep year after year. Now why does God give rules and boundaries even for Sabbath and feasting? Because he lovingly cares for every area of our lives. He wants to see us thrive and be joyful in him. So he gives rules and boundaries to keep us focused and to help us remember his faithfulness and provision for us. He is eager to help us in this way day after day and year after year after year until Christ returns to have joy in him. This brings us to our final point this morning. God cares about your future. We've come to the end of the book of the covenant, this set of commands and rules from God to his people. It's very common for a covenant to end with blessings and curses. It's a way of God saying what he will do if Israel keeps the covenant, and what he will do if they don't. There's some debate about these first few verses here in verses 20 and 21, 22, where it's talking about the angel of the Lord. Uh, Some scholars argue that because the Hebrew word for angel means messenger, that these verses are speaking about Moses. That really can't be true, though, because the angel here is going to conquer the promised land, and we know that Moses was not allowed to enter. Some scholars say that these verses are a reference to Joshua because he does conquer the promised land and does many other mighty acts for God and because his name is the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus, which lines up with the end of verse 22 where God says, my name is in him. It could also just simply be an angel who God has given significant standing and authority over Israel. They are to follow him, to pay careful attention to him and to obey his voice. They are commanded not to rebel against him because he will not forgive their transgressions. Again, God's very name is in him, and it says that if they carefully obey the angel's voice and keep God's covenant commands, then God will bring about his promises. However, most Christian interpreters agree that this description of an angel here is talking about a pre-incarnate Christ which is consistent with what we see throughout the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy where the angel of the Lord is mentioned and described. Whatever the case may be, God says that this angel or messenger has God's very name and authority and that he's going to lead his people, that he's going to speak to his people. That he's going to protect and deliver his people. That he's going to go before them and prepare the way and place for them. And that they are to listen to his voice and obey him. This is God himself sending a messenger. A physical embodiment of his presence to be with his people. He lovingly cares for every area of their lives. He's given them all the rules to follow and now promises that he will send this angel to go before them and be with them. Strengthening them, helping them, guiding them, protecting them, fighting for them. And serving as a clear reminder that their God knows them, loves them, and is unendingly faithful to them. What a help this angel of the Lord was meant to be to God's people. A constant reminder of God's active presence. And a constant reminder to keep God's commandments and thrive in his loving care and direction. And a constant reminder that God had a plan for them. Friends, whether or not this angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate Christ, he certainly points us to Christ. Jesus was the perfect physical embodiment of God's presence. Jesus lovingly teaches us God's design and commands for our lives. Jesus told us that he goes before us to prepare a place for us. Jesus sent his spirit to be with us, strengthening, helping, guiding, protecting, fighting for us, serving as a clear reminder that God knows us, loves us, and is unendingly faithful towards us. Jesus is a constant reminder for us of God's active presence. Jesus is a constant reminder for us to keep God's commands and thrive in his loving care. Jesus is a constant reminder for us That God has a plan for our lives. What a reminder for us today. What a help in time of need our Jesus is. He is the one we must find our rest and refreshment in. He is the one we have our fullest joy in. He is the one who gives us our greatest hope and confidence in the future that God has planned for us and is leading us towards. All of this because he lovingly cares for us. But what about the rest of these verses? All the blessings and curses. As we read through these last verses of chapter 23, we see God's promises to drive out Israel's enemies before them. To confuse them and frustrate their plans. But we also see in these verses strict commands from God for Israel not to bow down to or serve the false gods of the land. Instead, in verse 24, God commands his people to utterly overthrow these false gods and break their pillars into pieces. In verses 27 and 28, there's more promises from God to drive out his enemies from the land. You might think that that could be a sudden, rapid occurrence. But then look at verses 29 and 30 with me. God says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. God knew. God understands that Israel was not big enough or strong enough to handle all of the enemies being driven out from the land at the same time. So he promises to work little by little. Friends, as a slight pastoral aside this morning, it's on my heart that there could be many of us here who have been asking for God's help, waiting for him to act in mighty, powerful, incredible ways. Maybe you're praying big prayers right now or have been for many years. Maybe you've been praying for the same things for a long time. Maybe you've just given up asking him anymore. If that's you, I believe that we're supposed to specifically sit with these two verses and use them as a sort of lens to look at our lives through. Looking carefully, for God's activity in the ways or areas that we have been asking him to move in, but in a little by little sense. I don't know what all your situations are, and I don't know what all the big ways you've been waiting on God are, but he does. And I do know that he is faithful. And I do know that he has a plan for you. And I know that very rarely God just changes our circumstances or brings about sudden resolution. He can do those things, but I believe our normal experiences more of us growing to trust and rely on Him more and more as He works little by little to go before us and work in and on and through us to see Him and know Him and love Him more and more each day. God knows that you are not ready for him to remove all of the sin and trials and circumstance before your life. You're not big enough and you're not strong enough yet. But he is working little by little to go before you. Consider how God is moving little by little in your life and thank and praise him for his faithfulness to you. Let those little evidences of God's grace and faithfulness have an effect on your heart and soul to trust that God will continue to be active on your behalf little by little. Amen. The other big thing that we see in verses 23 to 33 are lots of promises from God on what he will give and do for his people if they keep his commands. In addition to the promise to drive out their enemies and give them into Israel's hand, God promises blessing on their food and water. God bless, promises to take away sickness from among the people. God promises that none will have miscarriages or be barren. God promises long and full lifespans. And God promises increasing families and growing borders of Israel's land. That's a lot of promise of prosperity for his people. And it is very easy for us to read passages like this and begin to think that if we just keep God's commands and believe in him, he will bless us in these or similar ways. Friends, that is dangerous. It is a presumption or an assumption that God owes you something, which is just not true. That's why the prosperity gospel is so attractive. They say things like, God wants to bless you with the things that you want. All you need to do is believe it and claim it and have enough faith that he will. Friends, that is emphatically not what this passage is communicating. It's crucial for us to see and know that God is using physical blessings and promises and realities to teach his young people. These specific promises were for Israel at that time, not for us today. But what makes this painfully clear for us is the fact that as we progress in the story, we will see Israel continually break the entire book of the covenant over and over and over. So not even they would receive the full benefit from these promises of prosperity from God in the ways that he states here in these verses. Is he still patient and kind with them? Yes. Does he continue to bless them and provide for them? Absolutely. But just like we compromise with sin and worship false gods today, Israel made allowances for the people and false gods that they were commanded to overthrow and destroy. They were commanded to have no other gods just like we are, and yet we all worship many things instead of worshiping only the one true God. God gives promises over and over throughout the whole Bible, but he also requires and commands obedience to him as the sovereign creator and ruler over all things. And what we learn from the Israelites time and time again is that disobeying God comes with consequences, just like we see promised in verses 32 and 33. Where God says, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Friend, I must ask, how are you making concessions to false gods and sin in your life? How are they being a snare to you as you walk through your days claiming to love and follow the one true God? How can you root out sin and false worship from your heart? Take some time this week to pray. Ask God to reveal these things to you and run, run towards your great, loving, gracious God. While the full blessing of God's promises of prosperity weren't experienced by Israel and they won't be experienced fully by us either, these verses still point us towards a wonderful reality, church. They point us towards a day when we will in fact experience the full and true prosperity of God in our promised land of heaven. The place Where Jesus has gone before us to prepare for us. If you believe that Jesus is your savior and king, then you must know and believe that he cares about your future. You cannot perfectly keep all God's commands. You will fail time and time again just like the Israelites. But Jesus has kept every single dot and iota of the law in your place. In this life, you will experience pain and suffering. You will experience sin and shame. You will experience trial or poverty or maybe even childlessness. You will experience death and loss. Our sins have made sure of it. This world is lost and broken and failing. But, Christian, we are heading somewhere perfect. Heaven is our home and will be forevermore as we praise our King and Savior Jesus who has gone ahead of us, anchoring our sure salvation. And he has sent us his spirit to assure us, help us, strengthen us, and push us along the way. He cares about your future just as much as he lovingly cares about every area of your life. Let your rest and your joy and the bright hope of your future rejuvenate and refresh your soul this morning. Our God is unendingly faithful to us. I want to close with just a few application questions for us in response to our God who lovingly cares for every area of our lives, how are we fighting to keep him first and not bow down to other gods? He cares about your rest. How are we fighting to find our rest and refreshment in him? He cares about your joy. How are we striving to recount his faithfulness, primarily through Jesus, remembering and celebrating his goodness to us? He cares about your future. How are we growing in obediently following him, growing in trusting in his plan and timing for our lives? How are we being impacted by the hope and reality of our future in heaven? Do you think about it enough? Are you letting it fill you with joy and confidence in Christ? Redeemer Fellowship, God lovingly cares for every area of our lives. Let us listen to his voice. Let us obey him. Let us honor and serve him with our whole lives as we are led little by little to heaven with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.